Welcome to In That Case. My name's Joel Townsend, and this is my podcast about important pieces of public interest litigation which have shaped Australian life. You can find past episodes of the podcast on the website at www.inthatcasepodcast.com and on Apple Podcasts, and you can find me on Twitter. I'm at, at Townsend Joel C. Please send through any comments, any ideas for future episode, uh, episodes, any feedback you might have. I want to talk today about the Australian Communist Party case. So this is an old case, but a very famous and important one in Australian law. And it involved a challenge to legislation passed by the Parliament under the Menzies government, which had been elected in 1949, promising to ban the Communist Party. In 1950, the Parliament passed the Australian Communist Party Dissolution Act, and that uh, essentially made the Communist Party unlawful and pre- made prescriptions as to how its assets would be dealt with and um, set out certain criminal offences um, with which officials could be uh, charged if they continued to, to act as members of the Communist Party. The legislation set out a number of recitals. These were statements at the beginning of the legislation which explained or purported to explain how the Communist Party posed a real threat to Australia. And these were an attempt by the Parliament to dictate that this legislation would be within the scope of the defence power. The Commonwealth Parliament is allowed to legislate with respect to the defence of Australia. Uh, The legislation set out those recitals, but when the legislation was challenged before the High Court, the High Court held that the Parliament can't recite itself into power, that it wasn't enough that Parliament simply asserted those things, that questioning whether the facts existed to justify uh, a piece of legislation being passed under a head of constitutional power That was a question which was for the courts and Parliament couldn't immunise itself from scrutiny. And ultimately, the High Court held that the defence power couldn't justify this legislation and struck it down. Subsequently, the Menzies government introduced legislation, had it passed through the Parliament and brought before the Australian people a referendum to change the constitution essentially to permit the banning of the Communist Party. And what I'll do is um, put up in a week or two an extra episode of In That Case which deals with some specific issues around the referendum itself. But today I want um, to um, talk a little bit about the case and I'm really pleased to have um, an interview with Mark Ahrens who is the son of Laurie Ahrens who was a prominent and important communist in Australia during the course of the 20th century. I've also got some archival footage from Laurie, courtesy of um, the Oral History Project, um, which is maintained by the National Library of Australia, and I'm very grateful um, to the National Library for the use of of that material. And I'm really pleased to have um, also some um, material from Justice Michael Kirby, former Justice of the High Court of Australia, is very passionate about the Communist Party case and its implications um, and was willing to spend a little bit of time speaking to me. 
The Communist Party case was not the first attempt to ban the Communist Party and Mark Aarons explained to me a little of the previous efforts that had been made in that regard. Well, there had, of course, been uh, an earlier effort that was uh, specifically aimed at the Communist Party when, in 1932, the Lyons government legislated to declare a body of people to be unlawful or an unlawful association. The first thing that they did to test that was use it against a prominent communist, uh, which was interpreted by the Communist Party as the first step to prepare for wider repression. Uh, But, interestingly enough, the Communist Party, who at that stage uh, had declared courts like the High Court to be bourgeois courts, actually appealed successfully to the High Court uh, and there was uh, no wider banning of the party until it was banned for a number of years at the beginning of World War II by the uh, uh, conservative government of Robert Menzies. Both Mike Aarons and Justice Michael Kirby spoke to me a little about their personal connections to the Communist Party case. If, if um, my calculations are correct, and I think they are, I was conceived soon after the High Court decision, and if the High Court had decided that the Communist Party Dissolution Act was constitutional... Uh, then my father, Laurie Ahrens, who at that time was the uh, leading communist in the Newcastle area in New South Wales, would have gone underground and he would have been living in a what was termed a safe house that had been established by the illegal apparatus of the Communist Party in order to direct the underground activities of the party if the, uh, if the party had been declared an illegal organisation by the High Court's decision. So my very existence depended on the High Court's decision. My, my grandmother's second husband, Jack Simpson, um, who was the national treasurer of the Communist Party, was um, a communist. At his home, he had a large uh, amount of printed material which indicated this. These included the uh, speeches of V.I. Lenin, which appeared to be in pristine and unread uh, books. Uh, But he also had um, magazines called Soviet Union, which uh, appeared to be monthly, and which um, had uh, stories about uh, the Soviet Union, uh, which were full of praise of the Soviet Union. I used to go to the home that was owned by the Communist Party or by a trustee for the Communist Party and um, was the residence of my grandmother, um, Norma Simpson, and uh, Jack Simpson, 
and uh, sometimes I would stay over a weekend. Um, it was on Princess Highway Tempe in Sydney. A train ran, a tram ran, ran along the road outside, and I used to complain endlessly to my father uh, about the tram because in leafy Concord, where we lived, uh, there were no trams. Uh, my father would say, "Shut up, you brat," and um, uh, get used to it. But my uh, my step grandfather, I suppose he would be, uh, who I called Uncle Jack, um, was a very kind and decent man. And uh, he was very loving to my grandmother. Uh, and he had these magazines. He was a communist and he was the treasurer. My father uh, was always, always had a healthy scepticism about the communists. But he went along out of love for his mother and uh, the obvious decency of Jack Simpson and his affection for his mother. Um, uh, my mother, um, who was a bit more conservative from, than my father and whom we think voted for Mr. Menzies, uh, uh, she had very little time for the communists. Um, women's knitting groups were established, uh, including some relatives of my father, to um, knit for the uh, poor soldiers and uh, children of the Soviet Union. Uh, my mother declined to join in that. She said that she had four children of her own and she didn't have time to knit for others. She was too busy knitting for her own children. So it was, uh, but she also liked Jack Simpson very much. He was a very nice man and his decency and kindness and goodness made me very sceptical of the media campaigns against him as a, a kind of terrorist of that age. And it also made me sceptical of later efforts to demonize um, minority groups. Um, and that was, in a sense, an, an important uh, lesson in life. Uh, which um, it would be a good thing if more judges had. One of the most interesting aspects of the Communist Party case is the preparations which were made by the Communist Party uh, in anticipation of being banned. Both Michael Kirby and Mark Aaron spoke to me about what they knew of those preparations and Laurie Aarons in the oral history held by the National Library of Australia spoke about the same issues. The Menzies government was elected in December and I think by September of 1950 they uh, carried the uh, Communist Party Dissolution Act uh, which was interesting uh, because uh, originally the Labor Party decided to oppose it they had a majority in the Senate, but by a as I recall it now, uh, by decision of the Federal Executive and not the Parliamentary mm. Caucus, they decided not to uh, oppose the uh, law in uh, uh, in the, the Senate, yeah. which they could have, uh, which could have stopped it yeah. at least temporarily. Menzies said, "If you do that, well, I'll go to an election," yeah. uh, but uh, they didn't do it, uh, uh, and it was brought in. We're faced then with, remember what we said earlier right. about uh, several attempts to ban the yeah. Communist Party, one being uh, the Latham one that I spoke about, yeah. 
and the other one being the actual outlaw yeah. of the Communist Party in 1940. Yeah. So the party had then, of course, to uh, think about uh, many problems, including the preparation for possible illegality. Yeah. And uh, we took it very seriously. Uh, I knew that, um, and I certainly had further knowledge later, that when the um, Communist Party Dissolution Act had been enacted by the federal parliament in 1950, uh, pursuant to um, a mandate, uh, it having been included in the uh, policy speech of Mr Menzies in December 1949 uh, and carried into the um, policy and ac actions of the uh, Liberal Country Party government uh, elected at that time. Um, I knew that uh, later that Jack Simpson had to do all sorts of things to try and spirit away the um, uh, relatively modest funds of the Australian Communist Party. Uh, my father told me that he actually uh, got on a, um, on a plane and went to Armadale, um, apparently with some of or evidence of the uh, funds of the Communist Party when the um, the referendum uh, was held and also earlier when the High Court decision was awaited. Um, but um, he did not, as I, I understood, uh, expect for a minute that the running lapdogs of the capitalists would... Um, uh, decide the case in favour of the Communist Party. Part of the operation to go underground if the High Court had upheld the government's uh, uh, legislation banning the Communist Party, uh, Laurie Aarons took a train from Newcastle to Tamworth and then took, I think, the Northern Tablelands Express, as it was called in those days, to Sydney, where he arrived at about 6.30 in the morning to discover the headlines in the newspapers uh, were that the High Court had, in fact, held that the government's legislation was unconstitutional and thereby the party was not being banned. So in somewhat of an elated mood, he took himself off to the uh, races, probably at Randwick, where he was uh, doubly lucky, having escaped having to go into an underground existence. He also won uh, a bet on one of the races. So he returned home to my uh, mother and my two older brothers um, with some winnings in his pocket. Well, it's very hard to know uh, with any precision, but for the party to have successfully continued to operate as a national organisation, uh, it would have been at least 100 or more than 100 people who would have been secreted in illegal operations uh, in safe houses and other places. Uh, to continue the work. Uh, this would have included, of course, the key national uh, uh, members of the Central Committee who had been 
uh, in preparation for illegality, uh, a number of them had been chosen to form what was then called a national committee, a much smaller group of people who would direct the party's operations nationally. And then each uh, district on a state basis would have had a similar uh, organisation to go underground. Uh, and then at a state level, uh, the key operatives who ran the state's operations would have had uh, uh, plans that were quite sophisticated to go underground. Because it wasn't just, of course, the individuals that were needed to operate an illegal apparatus, there were extensive um, plans uh, that were in fact put in place to have uh, printing gear, uh, paper, uh, petrol, food uh, that were organised in order to keep propaganda uh, appearing, in order to be able to move key uh, leaders of the Communist Party from one safe house to another to ensure that they were never in one place for too long a period of time for fear that uh, surveillance operations by ASIO, the Australian Security and Intelligence Organisation, uh, might have uh, been able to penetrate the illegal apparatus and uh, discover their whereabouts. So it was quite a major operation that, interestingly enough, was organised by Wally Clayton, who was in charge uh, in the late 40s and early 1950s of the Communist Party's illegal apparatus, who happened also to be, of course, um, the KGB's master spy in operating a ring that uh, obtained highly classified documents, particularly from the Foreign Affairs or External Affairs Department, as it was then called, uh, and uh, gave them to the KGB operatives in Australia who transmitted them to Moscow. Communist Party case was decided, of course, against a background of the Cold War, of fierce anti-communism. And Michael Kirby described for me a little of that background, as well as describing for me the outcome of the case. Laurie Aarons, in his oral history, talked also about the outcome of the case and his own theories about what was motivating the High Court. The case was particularly surprising, uh, not only to Jack Simpson, but to many lawyers in Australia, and probably the great majority of judges and the legal profession at the time, because it coincided with a number of historical events that uh, did tend to give some factual support for the assertions of the emergency situation uh, that uh, was said in the preamble to the Communist Party Dissolution Act of 1950 to justify the enactment of um, such legislation. Uh, these included the Berlin 
uh, airlift, uh, the descent of the Iron Curtain, uh, the communist uh, and Soviet uh, um, hegemony in Eastern Europe, um, the um, explosion of uh, nuclear devices, um, and the um, uh, the beginning of the Korean War, uh, which broke out in 1950. So this was a time when uh, there was a great deal of anxiety about the advance of communism, uh, and communism was a kind of bogeyman uh, in Australia. By a vote of um, five to one, um, Justice Webb was not participating because he was taking part as the chairman or president of the um, war crimes tribunal in the Far East. Um, but by f f four to one, uh, with just Chief Justice Latham being the only dissenter, the High Court struck down the uh, Communist Party Dissolution Act of 1950. Uh, and uh, that meant that the scheme of the Act, which was for declarations to be made uh, that a person was a communist, uh, and which then imposed upon those persons a whole series of civil um, disabilities, uh, was disallowed and the Act was declared void. What we did uh, was that we took a challenge to the High Court, yeah. or a number of unions took yeah. Uh, yeah. challenges, because part of the legislation was to prevent unions electing yeah. who they wanted. Yeah. That is to say, if they were members of the Communist Party, they couldn't uh, be officials of unions yeah. in certain prescribed industries. Yeah. Uh, which were virtually, you know, everything from transport and building and metal and so on. Um, and, and so the case was challenged. Well, I don't know what the party's official view yeah. of uh, uh, the outcome of the High Court challenge, uh, but I know what my personal view yeah. was, and that is it was the, one of the biggest surprises of my political life yeah. when the decision was to throw out the uh, legislation. By the High Court. Yeah. The High Court decided by, uh, there was only one judge in favour of it. Mm. He was the Chief Justice, and guess who he was? Sir John Latham, <laughs> the man who tried to ban the Communist Party in 1934. So this was, uh, uh, this was a very important uh, decision. Uh, you know, it was one yeah. of the great sort of civil libertarian victories, uh, victories for democratic yeah. rights in Australian history and is well worth uh, an examination of the reasons for the uh, yeah. uh, High Court to throw the, the case out. Um, there are many different views about it. I will give my view. I mean, yeah. the view is some judicial or some jurists say, well, you know, that it was uh, a case of the basically democratic uh, mm. concept. I think, I mean, that has a part in it. Yeah. But I believe that there are other reasons for it, and I think they're well worth at least putting right. on record. Um, 
one of the major problems, one of the, the sort of the basic reason I think that the that the court majority throughout the Communist Party Dissolution Act was that uh, it relied upon the defence power. Uh, that is, Menzies' sort of concept or the concept he put forward was yeah. we are in danger of war yeah. and in fact although no war has been declared we are actually at war. There is yeah. an international war going on yeah. uh, in which the communists are the fifth column for yeah. Russia, for the Soviet Union. And so in order to fight the war it was necessary to outlaw the communist yeah. party and smash their influence, right? Yeah. Um, so, um, this was his concept. Now, the High Court, and I've read the judgment yeah. a number of times, yeah. uh, uh, it all except Latham, I think, yeah. or most of the judges said, you cannot rely on the defence power yeah. unless war is declared. I yeah. mean, that's sort of put yeah. it in a nutshell. So, that was one reason. Uh, <coughs> a, what might be called a pure yeah. black-letter law decision. Right. The uh, High Court decision uh, on the Communist Party Dissolution Act is a very interesting decision um, which uh, I have a theory about uh, or as to one at least of the reasons which I think I mentioned in the last tape. Um, you have to think back to the times and you'll realise that uh, the uh, High Court had not long before, in 1947 I think, or 48, uh, had uh, thrown out Chifley's Bank Nationalisation Act as being ultra virus the Constitution. Uh, this in itself was a very interesting uh, political campaign and struggle which I think I touched on. But uh, the, uh, uh, if the High Court had validated uh, the Communist Party Dissolution Act, which enabled, uh, which would have enabled the Menzies government to seize the assets of a corporate body, the Communist Party of Australia, uh, and allowed it to interfere in the affairs of uh, trade unions, then un uh, under the Defence Act, it's easy to see that uh, a, a Labor government, which could well have been elected at any period uh, after the uh, uh, Communist Party Dissolution Act, uh, and almost was uh, several times, that a Labor Party bent on nationalising the banks or other corporations could invoke the defence power under certain circumstances and conditions. And it seems to me that this was one of the reasons uh, behind uh, the decision of the mainly conservative majority of judges on the High Court bench. Um, and uh, I think also they uh, were concerned genuinely with judicial independence and civil liberties, but I think that uh, the uh, one, a major reason uh, for the decision, to my mind at least, uh, was to uh, maintain the right of corporations and corporate bodies to ownership of their assets 
and to free them from any threat of confiscation. So this would apply to industrial companies and you know, financial organisations generally within the capital system? Any companies yeah, at yeah. all. Uh, you see, during the war, for example, uh, the Curtin government had taken very great powers yeah. Uh, under the Defence Act or under the uh, War Precautions Act, I think it was called. Um, no, well, it wasn't that, but anyway, the name yeah. of it is unimportant. Um, and uh, there were many big uh, struggles, particularly with BHP yeah. uh, at the time. And uh, you see, of course, there was no power for the uh, court to interfere then yeah. because, of course, the country was at war. Yeah. Uh, and this was held to override uh, yeah. other considerations. But what the Menzies government wanted to do was to uh, say, uh, we are really at war, although war has not been declared. Yes. And yeah. so if this decision had gone through, then a future government, yeah. uh, Labor government, uh, perhaps left of the yeah. Chifley government, uh, might have been able to invoke defence powers and say, in the interests of the defence of the country, uh, we need to nationalise BHP or we need to nationalise the banks and so yeah, on. Yeah. So that, uh, okay. uh, that is a, a theory that I have had uh, uh, and developed over a period. I don't think anyone else agrees with it. As I said at the outset, the Australian Communist Party case continues to have relevance for Australian public life. Both Mark Ahrens and Justice Michael Kirby talked a little about some of the contemporary relevance and what it says about our constitution and protection of civil liberties. Well, I think that the Communist Party Dissolution Act um, uh, rejection by the High Court in March of 1951 set what should have been an extraordinarily important uh, case that the mere proposition of wishing on the part of communists to replace the capitalist system with a socialist system was not something that the High Court was prepared to cede to the government the right to outlaw. Um, of course, communists talked about the ultimate need to use force in a revolutionary situation because the capitalist class would not give up uh, their power without a physical fight, and that was interpreted by uh, many political leaders and indeed by ASIO as the case to be made out that the communists were subversives. When we come to today's uh, situation, I think that we are in a, in a circumstance where we risk ceding some of our democratic rights in order to protect them. And that was, if you like, the essence of the Communist Party case in the High Court. Uh, we risk being...
becoming our own enemy by taking a step over a line that is too draconian and using it to repress people who might be only expressing very unpopular views. On the other hand, there is the very real risk that jihadists do wish to take violent action against uh, citizens and uh, institutions in Australia uh, and the crossing of that line puts them in a position where the government does need to have the power to act against them. But it's a very, very fine line and one that needs to be uh, exercised with great judgment and care. As to my understanding of the case later, well, naturally, I had to read the case on a number of occasions because it was important not only for dealing with the Communist Party Dissolution Act, but it was also important for the limits that the Act placed upon the extent to which the government could recite itself into power by declaring that certain matters were uh, factual uh, and that that gave the justification for um, legislation which was out of line with the normal um, traditions of the drafting of federal legislation in Australia. Uh, and um, it was also exceptional in that it um, reaffirmed uh, the limits on the extent to which the executive government could act without um, explicit um, uh, federal legislation and federal power. And thirdly, it was important for upholding the rule of law in Australia, and there was a very uh, strong statement in the um, judicial reasons of uh, Justice uh, Dixon, later Chief Justice of the High Court, uh, concerning the rule of law and the importance of the courts uh, defending and protecting the rule of law. And there's a passage, a famous passage in Justice Dixon's reasons in the Communist Party case in which he said, uh, executive government, and not only in... Uh, uh, ancient history has been shown by history to um, overstep the mark uh, in assertions of power and it is the duty of the courts to keep them within the limits of the power and that is what the rule of law means and uh, that uh, was a very important and central holding um, of the role of the High Court in upholding the rule of law. Every law student learns of that holding and uh, it was always important to me and I think to most other lawyers in Australia. In the, uh, in the case concerning the terrorism legislation, um, Justice Callanan uh, cast doubt on the correctness of the Communist Party decision and uh, he had some support in the reasoning of uh, Chief Justice Gleeson and other justices uh, in, the, um, in the case of uh, Jack Thomas. Uh, 
and I, I think I commented in my reason something to the effect that I never thought whilst I was serving on the High Court and before I uh, left office that I would hear uh, doubts being cast on those central passages and the reasons of uh, Justice Dixon. It's true that um, the justices of the High Court have, in default of a Bill of Rights in the Constitution or even a statutory Bill of Rights, uh, sometimes uh, they've had to uh, look to the implications of the Constitution uh, to find uh, a proper legal foundation for upholding basic principles. And um, uh, that uh, is part of the judicial function. I don't think you ought to exaggerate either the number of occasions where that has been done or the enthusiasm of the um, justices since the Communist Party case to find those implications. There was a golden age in the period when uh, Chief Justice Mason uh, was um, serving as Chief Justice of the High Court um, in which um, a number of implications were found, including the implication of constitutionally protected speech. Um, but uh, that is pretty rare. Thanks so much to Justice Michael Kirby, Mark Aarons and the National Library of Australia for the uh, content of the interviews uh, that I've extracted for this podcast. It's a really interesting story, as I say, continues to have a great deal of contemporary relevance. The Communist Party case was followed by a referendum which failed to give the Menzies government constitutional power to ban the Communist Party. I've got some further material about the referendum which I'll put together in uh, a little additional episode and put that out hopefully in the next couple of weeks. But in the meantime, uh, I hope you enjoyed hearing a bit about the Australian Communist Party case and I look forward to having you join me on the next episode of In That Case. Mm-hmm.